Hello and welcome to Full Send with Christina Kim and Alan Shipnuck. We are back at it again. Christina, you are um, at one of the citadels of the game, Carnisti. Uh, tell me about your spin around the links uh, for practice round and what do you think of the golf course and, and just the whole, the whole vibe there? Well, uh, those that are listening to this episode can't see, but I've got this huge smile plastered on my face right now. I just got back. I We quite honestly just checked into our Airbnb. Um, funny story because they were trying to get us to stay at the official hotel. We've got these, you know, obviously with everything going on with COVID, we've still got bubbles. And when things were getting organized, it was um, still very much a shit show. And so we were told we have to stay in, um, you know, one of two hotels for the two weeks for last week at the Scottish Open, as well as this week for the Open Championship. And you know, I wasn't sure what I was in. I wasn't sure if I was going to get into one, into both, into neither. And so um, I kind of waited it out. And also the RNA had granted the men the access to book their own accommodation as well. I remember seeing Poulter had, you know, a, him and a number of guys were staying in some RVs right over by Royal St. George's, which is pretty sick. And... Uh, there was a little bit of a there, there was an inquiry made by the <laughs> LPGA, the players as well as some of the officials of you know what, like, what's up? And so obviously times had changed from when the championship was first announced with everything going on with COVID. So they had said, okay, you can do self catering. It's a bit of a pain because we're not allowed anywhere other than our Airbnb and the golf course. But at least, you know, I'm in the living room right now, which means I have a living room. And this Airbnb popped up. Like, I didn't get into the Open Championship until, like, 1.13 in the morning, Friday morning. And so <laughs> when I woke up for my second round, I got an email saying, uh, you know, this player has withdrawn. Christina Kim is in, along with five other players that they had for Rolex rankings. And I was like, I'm not going to lie. I had no idea where I sat in in, in terms of the reserves list, in terms of anything. And they they do this thing where it's like, you know, they have all the categories and you're in based on the highest category that you're in. And so if you, if someone decides, you know, either to withdraw or if like, you know, say tournament winner was already in, then, you know, the next, the first, the first reserve for that first category go goes in. And if they're already eligible, they then let the next person in that category go. Like it's this like ridiculous spreadsheet. Are, you, are we supposed to be more clear on the process now after you just went through that? Cause I'm more confused. Honestly, like it makes sense. Like it's like, you know, if you just list out all the categories and it's like, you can be first alternate in category one, but in by category six. And so if you get in, if category one has a withdrawal, you get in off of category one, but then category six, their first alternate gets put in. So it's this whole like moving thing. And, you know, I, I, I was talking with, um, you know, some of the LPG, I'm like, I'm, I'm just curious. Like, I, I hope I, I would have to expect since the RNA has, you know, uh, one taken over the LG, what was the LGU and, and now, you know, they're the governing body of, um, the open championship for the men and the women that it's the same way for the men 
because we had no reserves list at all. Um, you know, if I had gone through the effort and contacted the, the person with the RNA and say, uh, like, what's up? Like, what is what's happening? Like, where do I stand in, in any of these categories? Then, you know, I, I could have done that. And I was just like, I didn't know that was even an option. So that's on me. And, um, you know, uh, that person came back to me. It was like, it's the same for the guys. And I was like, OK, so it's equitably complicated, <laughs> yeah. complicated, you know, but at yeah. least it's equitable. So, you know, now I know in the future, one, just play well enough where you don't have to worry. But two, if you do have to wonder where you're at, you can go through the process and contact the right person to figure out what, like, what's up. Um, but to go back to it, yes, I, I just finished a practice round today. <laughs> and I tell you, it it is just, it's so remarkable. Like the, 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 just the artistry of the golf course is just amazing. Like there's, you know, it, it's like you can't sit there and say there's like one wonky hole or this or that, you know, like it, it was just it was awesome. And um, I had been fortunate enough where I did not have to go through the final qualifying, which is an 18 hole qualifier over at Panmure, which is another remarkable golf course. And it has ties to um, Van Hogan before he had come and played in his only open championship, which was held here at Carnoustie. He had gotten in touch with Panmure and very much like him, Panmure is like, it's ridiculously private um, in the sense of, you know, they, they don't want any disruptions. Like they're just, they're just like a small club. They just want to focus on their, their members and, and all of that. And he was the only player in the field that was granted access to come in early, get a couple weeks worth of practice, one using a smaller golf ball as well, which is what they were using here for the open championship. Then he That's had wild. to go to do the 36 hole qualifier because back in those days, like in the thirties, Every, there was no field set. Everybody had to go through the qualifier. And so he went, did a 36-hole qualifier, and then came, played Carnoustie, won the third leg of his Grand Slam, and never returned. So the fact that I was at least able to visit was pretty cool. And I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lie, I'm pretty pumped I didn't have to do the final qualifying. There, there's so much there that I love. First of all, the entire field had to qualify. That's, such, that's so mm -hmm. baller. Like, um, I mean, I remember back even... Uh, 20 years ago, like, you know, Brad Faxon flying over to try and qualify. It's amazing mm -hmm. how much it's changed with all the, um, and it probably makes sense. It guarantees the, the best players are going to be there, all the different qualifying criteria, but there's something so pure about, you know what, you want to play in the open, you got to fly over and try and qualify. And then, or take a boat back in those days. You take a boat. Yeah. And then the small, the small British ball, like all this talk about bifurcation and it put such an onus on the players and blah, blah, blah. I mean, those guys literally had to learn how to use a new ball to play one, yeah. I mean, one of the biggest events. One of the year, tournament. Right? Absolutely. And, I and love all the that. fact that, yeah. And, and, um, so we played on Todd's birthday, which was pretty awesome. And, um, I didn't realize like there were a couple other players that had gone out to play that had to do the, the final qualifying. And I had seen, you know, there, there were a couple of girls who had been, you know, they played Port Rush. They, they played Royal County down and we were like there on like the same days we were there at Castle Rock on the same day, like, you know, and, and their caddies were playing and, their caddies were not able to play. And I was just like, Todd, they let you out on this golf course to play. It was, it was, <laughs> it was a pretty special day. And, um, hole number six is, this, it's this incredibly difficult 
par four, like even without the wind, because there's like it's it's not exactly a blind tee shot, but you there's just there's just shit everywhere in terms of like there's you know tall heather that your ball will get snarled up in. There's you know this these rolling fairways, and then it goes up a hill onto an elevated green. And when Mr. Hogan came and you know started practicing there, he had made the suggestion to the golf club of hey maybe you should put a greenside bunker front right, and so they did, and and that hole is now called. Hogan, which I love shit like that. Like it just, it just rocks my socks. You know, he's dead. You don't have to call him Mr. Hogan anymore. Like he's not going to know. Well, what am way. I going to do? Call him Benji? Like, come on. No, I, I, I have, I, I'm going to hold him in reverence. Um, I, don't, I don't go down. I'm about I, to do. I don't go down the Mr. Road. Like, you know, when I broke up with. You Jap- are a Mr. So no, you're not going to. <laughs> Brutal. This podcast is over. When I when I hung out with 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 Big Jack for a couple hours at, at Augusta a couple years ago, I called him Jack. I called Arnie Arnie. Like, there's no Mister. Come on. Like, I will call someone Mister or Ms. until they say no. You can call me. Like, like I remember. Yeah, but he's dead. There, so now like now he... you're now you have to in perpetuity. Yeah, exactly. So I'm not going to be so presumptuous to assume that he would allow me to call him Ben. <laughs> well, you could, you know. Arnold Palmer never liked Ben Hogan because Ben Hogan never called Arnie by his name. He called him fella. And Arnie oh. thought that was like a put down and like a, a disrespect. So we could refer to Hogan yeah. as fella and uh, see how that oh, feels gosh. in the afterlife. But, but, um, so me, that feels like how people call the previous uh, commander in chief, the former guy, which I personally like, and I do it on purpose. Um, <laughs> well, and funny story, Pat Bradley, um, you know, one of the, you know, just an amazing uh, LPJ player, Hall of Famer. She calls every tour player pro. Doesn't matter who you are. She just calls you pro. She knows me by my name. She calls me Christina, so I feel very special. But she calls every player pro, and she knows every caddy's name and calls them by their name. So I'm like, ugh, does that mean you hold me in the same, like, reverence as, as the caddies? Which is, in my opinion, you know, like, she's addressing them. She's acknowledging them, which is something that does not happen nearly enough, especially, you know, even these days. And, um, you know, at the same time, I'm like, mm, yeah, no big deal. Pat Bradley knows my first name. <laughs> I love Pat Bradley. When I... um. The one time I played Augusta National after I won the the lottery, um, I had this great caddy who'd been there, for, you know, for I don't know thirty plus years, and when I hit a good shot, he'd be like, "Nice shot, pro," and it meant nice. I, I I've never grinded so hard to like try and make a good swing because <laughs> it was so understated, and it, you know when I'd hit like a, a bad shot, he'd be like. Nothing. <laughs> Silent. <laughs> Just put his arm out to get the club back. It's like, dang. Uh, <laughs> I remember when um, this is we're getting off topic, but this when I played um, Shishan over in um, in Shanghai, which a lot of people think is the best golf course in Asia, and uh, the caddies are all these kind of uh, young Chinese women and mm-hmm. um, covered head it, to toe, head to toe, you including gloves. That's right, exactly. Um, and if you hit a good drive, oh, big ball, big ball. It was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get an extra 10 miles per hour club head speed because, like, you just wanted to hear them say that. It was so funny. <laughs> and, um, you know, if you made a putt, they would clap. Like, it was just, it added so much to the round. And when you made a birdie, they had these little coins they'd, they'd give you. Uh, it was, oh. Uh, I know. It, it, was, um, it was funny. I showed up there. 
uh, I wasn't planning to to play golf. I was I was over there doing a story on Rory, and then I had I had a chance to play, so I just got a rental set and I played with the head pro, and it had this super old tailor made hybrid. It was seventeen degrees, and I I hit it like the young Ben Hogan. I had three eagle putts, and at the end I I said to the guy, I said, "I'm not leaving China without this club." I said, how much do you want for it? He's like, that thing's so old, just take it. And so I, of course, I didn't have a travel bag. So I carried it through the airport like it was a cane. And <laughs> people would come up to me and, and waggle it. And it was like, I was, it was like, I was like, you know, Gandalf with his staff, you know, walking through. Um, at this point, it was, I, was the ba- I had to take it to Beijing and fly out of Beijing. It was like a whole thing. But, and I used that club for a long time. But I could never recapture the magic. And I think in hindsight, it was really more about the caddies than the club. I was just grinding so hard to try and make birdies, get the little coin, get their, their you know, affirmation. So anyway, we digress. That is so amazing. Ba- I know. Yeah. So back to, Car- back to Carnoustie, because the first time I played it, I didn't love it in that it doesn't have towering dunes. The, the landscape is a little flat and you never really get to see the ocean and back then, this was a long time ago. This was like in the 90s before they redid the clubhouse. It looked like like a Soviet era, like concrete bunker. There was just a certain foreboding feeling and it, didn't, it did not exude charm. But as I've played it a couple more times, I've come to love it so much. And um, I think it's such a great tactical golf course. And, you know, the the Open that, that Tiger almost won um, in back in, um, in 18 and, and uh, Francesco took... It, it was so fascinating to watch because, first of all, if you remember, that course was brown. It was, it was just, yes. it was, it was a racetrack, and the ball <sighs> was rolling out forever. And so every tee, it seemed like these guys would stand up there, and they had to make a choice. Like they could hit, say, a three iron short of the bunkers. They could try and thread them between the bunkers with like a three wood, or they could try and blast it over the bunkers with a driver. And but it was, it was relentless because every single hole you had to make that decision, and. Uh, you could see that that some of the wiring was starting to smoke and sparks were starting. Like it was, it was just too much thinking. You know, they just wanted to get up there and bash it, uh, but but you had to make a decision every single hole, and I loved that. I'm wondering how it's playing for you guys and and the distance you hit. What what, what kind of decisions are you are you facing on the tee box there? So it's not the same. Because the last three weeks or so, there has been it's it's what the LPJ does, you know. I mean, we we need more events in um, Australia and Africa because anytime the LPJ rolls into town, we bring the rain, and so <laughs> it is. It's quite honestly, it is quite green. It is still running out, and if there's any sort of a breeze, the ball is tumbling. But it's obviously, you know, one we're not playing with the same sort of um ball speeds that the guys are 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 playing with and so it's not going to be as exaggerated but you're you're still getting the ball to run out and even into the wind you're still getting 20 30 yards of roll so for us yeah it is still playing very very much like a lynx golf course and um but it, it definitely is a lot greener than than when frankie won and excuse me mr molinaro um <laughs> won his open championship but it is still an incredible incredible task um hogan's alley i mean i because i played here back you know 10 years ago when we were here the first time and you know i i just remember that i did not drown so i'm very proud of myself for that 
But at the same time, it, it's just like I'm still trying to figure out what to do about Hogan's Alley because, you know, it's a par five. So do you really need to even flirt with that? You know, with the, the those like uh, fat white OB stakes down the left hand side, you know, and then you've got that bunker that's just sitting in the middle of the fairway and then another one immediately behind it. And if you're going into the wind, your ball, the wind here, it's like when it's fresh and off of the, you know, and, and, and that oceanic wind, you're just like, there's going to be the occasional time when your driver's not even going to go 190 in the air. And you're like, son of a bitch. Like, you know, it might end up traveling about 260 yards, but it's because it's going to go 190 in the air and then it's going to draw, you know, at the same time and move 40 yards right to left. And so it's still, you know, you have to kind of go in there and start from, you look at the whole location and play your way backwards, you know, and, and there are a couple of holes like number 16 where, you know, I was talking with Todd and, you know, we, we went and played it and we played it, we're playing it at 220. And I know the guys played it from about 240, but those 20 yards are, make a huge difference. And, you know, I was, I played with Yuka Sasso, such a fun girl. Absolutely adore her. I love her. And she was just, she's amazing. And she was like, what is this? Like, a, you know, and Todd's like, oh, we got a drivable par three today. Cool. <laughs> and we were just like, what in the shit do we do? Because it's like, there's nowhere you know, to miss. Like, okay, well, no. the left is fine. Left is fine. Okay. Because you have that, you just yeah. put it up that slope, and the greens, are, the, the the greens and the fairways are tight enough where you know there's just a little bit of a change in speed, but that left is fine. You can't you can't go right um, unless you know in those bunkers on the right hand side shore, unless you've got like a front lo- hole location. Um, but it's you know, and and it's still great because like last week was a. I'm not going to lie, it was a pretty true test of Lynx golf, even though three years ago that land was a flat-ass farm. They did a beautiful job over at Dumbarney Lynx, um, you know, crafting a wonderful golf course. And everyone's still talking about it now. And so, you know, I mean, it's I'm sitting there and it's like, you know, first round, I miss the green. And, you know, I've got this like, you know, kind of like an awkward little thing. you got got to go up over this rise and then it runs away. And I was just like... I'm going to take the eight iron and just bump it up there and just have it trundle on up and got up and down for par. Like, you know, it, it, it requires so all satisfying. Of the shots. So satisfying. I, honestly, I think I pulled out my, my 60 degree wedge three times and it was when I was in three different bunkers. Only time. Yeah. Every time, like uh, the 71st hole, they made it drivable and I, I hit, missed my target by about five feet, ended up almost, you know, short of pin high, but past the front of the green, just short of and left of this green side bunker going up into the green. And then from the left-hand side, you're riding this ridge that runs along the entire green. And Todd and I went up there and we looked and we're like, dude, like, and it's tight. The lies are tight and it's on a slight side hill, downhill lie. And, you know, it's like, I'm like, I am not going to take my 60 degree and like stub it and plug it into the face of this, into the, you know, right. <laughs> you hit the rivet of the bunker and have it come down. I was like, give me that eight iron. And I'm like, give me, give me 15 feet. Just give me a chance. I hit it up there to like 10 feet. The, you know, the, the, the few spectators that they did have out there, like we're going wild. Cause another player, she hit her wedge and, um, you know, ran, uh, like her, her lob wedge and it ended up like 20 feet past the hole. She made the pie I missed, but whatever, like it was a great <laughs> chip, you know, it's just yeah. one of those things where you're like, you just have to execute the shots. And so there is a lot of thinking that, that is involved in this, which I, I love, 
Like I think there are times when I try to find something to think about on, on holes when it's just like, no, dude, we're in America. Hit your eight iron, spin it. And I'm like, but what? It, can I have the six iron and can I try to run it up? It's like, it's not going to run. Just, it's going <laughs> to, you know, because it's just like, you know, cla- and it's not a dig. You know, there's a time and a place for everything. But, you know, when you come to the, the British Isles, you know, and especially here at the home of golf in Scotland, you, the last thing you want to do is hit something up in the air and have it spin. Like, I love the fact that I told Tate, I was like, yeah, you know, this week especially, I have to really focus on my spin rates, not necessarily like, you know, within 50 RPM of what I'm thinking or whatever, but it's just one of those, is this going to be a shooter? Is this going to be something that's going to hit and skip up? Like even with a five iron, you know, what are, what are our carry numbers that we need to, what are the numbers we need to know where it starts running downhill? But like, it's just, it's, it is spectacular. I'm so, so pumped. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, let's look back at the, um, the women's Scottish open a little bit. So, I Ryan O'Toole. I mean, if I'm honest, I didn't realize she was still playing a full schedule. Like I hadn't seen her name in a long time, and she comes out of nowhere and wins first victory. She's been playing well this year. I know. She's been her name's been creeping up the leaderboard. Yeah, I was was like, wow, way to go, Ryan. I mean, I remember she was a big deal like ten years ago, and everyone was excited about her. And she, you know, she's had she's made a living, but she just. it was it was great to see her break through. I mean, she's mm-hmm, absolutely. She just she just seems like such a cool person, you know, surfer and has that vibe out there. I very telegenic. The, very telegenic. I remember at, when the match was at Cypress Point, um, and it was it was supposed to be like old guys against young guys. It was going to be Freddie and Davis Love against um, Bubba, and I forget the other young guy. And then Freddie like WD and it kind of lost its punch a little bit. But anyway, I went out there to watch mm. it and, and it was fun. And and she was out there just watching, hanging out. I was like, oh, that's cool. I mean, she clearly is kind of um, a golf fan as well as a hell of a player. So it, for those of us who have lost track of her, you know, my bad. Tell tell me, you know, tell me and the listeners a little, a little a bit about her and like, you know, what this win means. Well, I mean, this this win is huge on on so many fronts. I think, um, you know, because like you said, Ryan was a big name as an up and comer. You know, I mean, beyond just you know, oh, she was one of the few girls that had been able to break through after being on the big break, and you know, she made it into her first Solheim Cup with uh, Rosie Jones as our captain. I was one of her partners, and. You know, it's just, it's one of those things, like, she and I have talked about mental health a lot. Uh, She seems, you know, she's always smiling. She's, you know, she has, like, resting neutral face. So, you know, it's, it's, there are times when you're just like, oh, she's just kind of like, whatever. And she's like, no, dude, I'm hurting. Like, I just have this, you know, I just always have this, like, seemingly just shy of a Mona Lisa smile on all the time. And... So she's she's been through a lot, you know, and um, obviously, you know, she's a PXG troop. So everyone in the family is super pumped for her. <laughs> and I would like to sit there and say on the record, she is now the eighth person with whom I have played a practice round with and has gone on to subsequently win the tournament. So I'm really <laughs> and and then this whole every the our practice round protocols are very different in that. We have to go onto our portal and sign up for practice rounds. I'm like, dude, I just want to play by myself. Like, just come on. Like, let me just go by myself. Because, like, there are times I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm giving so much love to all these players. Um, 
you know, jokingly, of course, but no, she's just, she's chill. Like, you know, and, and she's not, she's, she's, she's always been fearless, but there are times when it's like, you know, you, sometimes you have to scale things back and you can be fearless and just be a little bit, um, not, you can't say smart about it cause she is very intelligent, but you know, it's, it's, you combine, you know, her power, her ability to hit the ball low, which especially with the way that golf is sort of morphed these days, it's so hard to, you know, hit your tee shots low compared to before. Um, you know, she's strong. She's so fit. She's, uh, you know, in a, in a very happy relationship right now with her fiance, Gina, and she and her caddy Reed had just split after I think it was maybe after Evian or, or something like that. And so she was able to um, start working with uh, a good friend of mine, Mikey Curry, who was working with Sophia Popoff, who is uh, this year's defending champion. And she had just quit as uh, she had, she and Mikey had just stopped working together as well. And, and so it was one of those things where I was like, you know, like they, they mesh really, really well together. Like he's a very calming um factor in it which is something that i think she uh all any of us could always benefit from you know and and he's smart he's witty he's funny um he's got that sort of like a, a clive owen look to him with like <laughs> the salt and the pepper and he's british mm. ruggedly and handsome. he's he is very ruggedly handsome and he's such a lovely guy and he he genuinely cares so it was kind of one of those things where you know i was talking with todd and he's like you know crazy that they just started working together and they're you know and they won their first week out i'm like you know it I, I it's and it's not necessarily anything you know super super conscious and like at the forefront of your mind but i'm like there is always that kind of thing of like a little bit of like a you know what fuck you to you know my previous caddy and fuck you to my previous player i, I think there's there's maybe a little bit of you know fire that gets lit under your butt you can still wish them well but still want <laughs> To win a little bit more. And there's yes. nothing wrong with that at the, all. The equivalent of that is my um, my daughter's boyfriend broke up with her like the day before school started. And <gasps> I know. And she was really bummed. I said, here's what you do. Like wear your cutest outfit on the first day of school and like spend give all of his friends a lot of attention and totally ignore him. And sure enough, like two days later, he came crawling back. So it's – there's a uh, – I, I see the same principle applies to the player caddy dynamic. Um. Did she take him back though? That's what I it's, need to well, know. Yeah. So now they're in negotiations. Like, so she's, th this guy has really played his cards wrong. So now she's like, well, I'll consider it, but you have, here's my list of demands. <laughs> it's like, mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm, parapha mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing, but anyway, so uh, we, we digress. So um, why do you think that your practice round presence inspires these players to greatness? Is it your words of wisdom? Is it they soak up your magical tempo? is that you make them feel so good about themselves with your, your witty charm. Like, what is going on there, CK? Fucked if I know, because if I did, I'd stop. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I kid. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there, you know, there are times when, you know, if I'm in a practice round with someone and, you know, like like take today playing with Yuka, she, she was trying to play one of those bunker shots. And we've got that, uh, Todd calls it the blow sand, that, that perfect open championship sand where it's just like you step in and your feet sink like three inches um, below the surface of the sand immediately. And it's just like, it just like sighs you like you have to have a lot of speed to get the ball out and you know it's like it, it, it's just, it's my favorite sand in the whole wide world and See, that's interesting she was trying 
Yeah, go ahead. That, uh, that makes me nervous when my, I can feel my feet sinking. Like, man, it's like I, I find it harder to get to get like a, a good to get to put spin on the ball. I, I, obviously, it's a technique issue, but I, I'd rather have a little firmer sand. But uh, so tell me this this shot that, that you could hit. So she had, she had her ball. They had like, you know, she had tossed one in where she was basically standing in the bunker, but having to hit out of a bunker. Um, so both of her feet were outside of it and she had enough room for a swing and she took her 60 degree, opened it up and then just like kind of stabbed at it and it hit one of the, um, the rivets and then just came straight back down. Like, you know, the sod layers in the bunker just came straight back down. And I was like, have you ever, I was like, just, uh, I was like, here, give this a try. Like get your 56. She was like my 56. I was like, get your 56, open it up. And above all else, always remember when you're in the bunker, especially in these bunkers, a number one goal is to get it out. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, trickling into the hole, like give it, just give it a chance to get there, you know? And, and so she took her 56, opened it up. And then and I was like, you know, give it a, give it some speed. Like, don't be afraid the sand, like it just kind of tosses the ball up out of the air. And so she did that. And like, she hit this like disgusting shot and she was like, Oh my gosh. She's like, thank you so much. I was like, bounce is always your friend in the sand, especially in this kind of sand, like try different shots, try different clubs. You'd be surprised by what you can do with like even a nine or eight iron. And, um, so, you know, I mean, I, I, I guess sometimes I'll, you know, you know, I, I sit here and I walked away and I'm like, yeah, says the girl that's never won a major, you know, <laughs> but, um, you know, I just, I, I talk to the players, you know, and, and I do always, I, I do always tell players like, you know, if you're, if you have half as much confidence in yourself that I have in you, like you'd be, you'd be winning every week, you know? And, um, I don't know, you know, we have fun, we laugh, we talk, like we don't just say words, we talk, we connect. And I think sometimes there, there's a little bit of that, that gets missed um out here because it's you know like like you know the classic is always like hey how's it going i'm good how are you i'm good how are you i'm good how are you it's like (laughs) you know if i ask someone how they are like i want to fucking know otherwise i'm not going to ask but no i don't know i mean it's just i'm sure like every player's got the same sort of thing because you know every week you're going to have you know you're the the odds are you're always going to play with someone that ends up winning that week so who knows (laughs) well the odds are way way against that actually it's uh but anyway, almost yeah, every, there are going to always be one or two players that are going to be like, well, I played a practice round with so-and-so and she won this week. Somebody did, but uh, eight seems like a big number. I don't know. That's only the, the, the top few that I can remember. I honest to God feel like in terms of top fives, it's, it's like seven times that number. It's ridiculous. And there was a period of time uh, a few years ago where I was just like, you know, I'm just going to go play by myself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't give it all away for free. But uh, so I want your take on this, Christina, because I've been going back and forth in my mind. I have to write my my uh, Ask Alan column, and somebody mm-hmm. asked me about this, and I'm I'm still I'm still ruminating on it. About um, I'm not sure how much you got to watch of the U.S. Amateur, but at Oakmont, there mm-hmm. was a handful of holes that guys were playing down the wrong fairway. Um, because uh, it, it took, it took some bunkers out of play or it gave a better angle, but literally there was, there was at least six holes where they were, they were purposely hitting it into the, an adjoining fairway. And some folks are like, Hey, uh, that's just being creative and using what's, what's presented to you. Of course, Oakmont is, is such a, a purist delight. So, you know, there's, there was, they took all the trees down uh, famously mm-hmm. 15,000 trees. It's opened up all mm-hmm. these corridors. Probably in the old days, you could have on 
pretty much every single one of those plays was available to a player, but uh, it wasn't as inviting visually. And certainly if, if a miss, it would be penalized. So I don't know how I feel about it. I'm, I salute the players for their creativity. And if the point of, of, uh, of the game is to shoot the lowest score and that gave them the best chance, you can't fault them, but it did feel a little weird, especially Oakmont. What, what do you think about it? I don't like it, especially, I mean, I, it, uh, above all else, I definitely hate that in stroke play um, because then that's starting to become a liability and, you know, you're, you're potentially staring down a medical emergency. You're, <laughs> you're fucking up pace of play. If you're waiting for the fairway to clear on yeah, another hole so you can hit your driver into it. I, I think that I, I, I can see where having some creativity in that sense, like, I, I can see how some people can give it props. I can't. I can't. Like, you know, and they better have called it a missed fairway in the stats. Shit. <laughs> right. You know, I, yeah. I I think that, you know, you should play the whole the way that it is presented to you. But that's also just how I how I play it. Um, I don't like playing down other fairways. I I think that, you know, it, it, it does a disservice to the architect and everything. And, and again, you know, that's not what the point of it all is. The point is, like you said, to shoot the lowest score that you can. But well, why can't you do that within the confines of the fairway that you're provided? Like, I, I don't know. Like, that's... Mr. <laughs> Mr. Founds, the architect, is dead. So we don't have to show him any respect. <laughs> you called him but, Mr. I know. I, I was being cheeky. But... um Okay, so just just to be the devil's advocate here. Pr- play the whole the way it's presented. But have you ever cut a dog leg by driving it over the trees? I mean, that's theoretically not how the architect wants you to play the hole. They want you to play it out to the right or the left and follow the contours of the fairway. But um, even in little ways, you know, blasting it over bunkers, whatever. Like you're 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 somewhat bending the, the hole to your will already. This is just a more extreme example. Yeah, I, 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 I guess honestly, I don't. You know, even back in the day, I wouldn't cut corners off very much. I would just sling the ball alongside it. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of dog legs and things like that. Um, you know that, but that's also how my brain tends to operate. I don't love cutting corners. Um, I also really, really love being in the middle of the fairway. I don't really care <laughs> for the sides of the fairway, to be honest. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't know. I, that is mm, that is a really shitty argument against playing a different golf hole altogether, in my opinion. Because at least you're staying on the same fucking hole. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just taking the argument to the illogical extreme, but. Um, I understand. It's just. It's, I mean, it's just, if you go on a par five, if you excuse. go for the green in two, that's not what the architect wanted. They wanted you to play it as a par five. So you're already kind of bending the rules, Christina. Not necessarily. There could be some holes where they say they want to make this a reachable par five. But if you f- don't hit your, your second shot well, you're not going to be on the green. You're still getting there in three in regulation. Okay. Yeah, it's it's an interesting debate. And obviously in the absence of internal OB, which nobody likes, especially me. Mm. Uh, I've gone on my Royal Portrush screed a couple times mm. at uh, the first hole there. It's 
it's kind of like, well, I I don't know what to do. I mean, for sure you could plant a few trees kind of just right off the tee box. So it, it takes away that option, but still the hole is pretty wide open, but on a, a, a course it's been denuded, like, like Oakmont and you start planting trees. Um, it's going to look a little weird. Augusta national, you know, they do that. They'll, they've put a couple trees off that 13th tee box discreetly mm-hmm. to try and change the way that, that whole, so guys can't just blast it over the dog leg. So I don't know. It's really, it's really an interesting, uh, there's not a right or wrong answer. Like I think generally we, you and I can be a little dogmatic on things and, uh, we feel like we're right and everybody else is wrong. But in this case, I don't know. It's, I, I think there's a strong argument either way. So it was just interesting that, um, and even, even golf Twitter seemed divided about it between those who saluted the players and creativity and those who felt like they were, you know, graffitiing the Vatican in some way, but. Um. Yeah, I'm, I am I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to lie. I really don't give a shit. Live your life. I'm not going to sit here and judge someone based on the actions that they take on how they play a golf hole. If they end up beating me, okay. If they don't, okay. You know, like. That's it's... the wrong attitude for someone who hosts the podcast. You should care deeply about everything so we have material. I don't judge. Shit. I can talk about anything. You know that. You know how long I talk about poo. I can talk about anything without having to, you know, like sit here and, and, and feel like I have to cast judgment on other people or whatever, you know, just, just don't be a dick. Stop killing, wear a mask, get your vax and play um, faster and, and respect the dog leg, respect the dog leg, play the dog leg. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about, um, the, the state of your game here. You, um, a couple nice rounds at, at um, Dumbarney, a couple that you'd, you'd probably like to shave a few shots off of, but um, nice little rally to make the cut anyway. And uh, you've, you've been uh, you've been on this Lynx adventure for a while. It's coming to a close. So uh, how are you feeling heading head into uh, the Women's Open Championship at Carnisti? Well, I feel great. You know, I, I was talking with Todd because it'd be one of those things where it's like after every round, we're like, fuck, we... We didn't really fuck up too much. Like, you know, like nothing went in, which happens. But, you know, you, you do your best to try and hit every shot with conviction. I, I was really, really good for the most part about doing that. Like the uh, that third round, like it was trying to it was it was ripping. So to honestly. Oh, no, sorry. The the second round. So to be able to honestly, like, s- scrap away with, you know, a two over par that day, it was pretty i was i was very much okay with that you know and and then in that third round like i was i was moving along quite nicely and then um you know it was one of those things where it was like do i hit hybrid off the tee do i hit three wood and then you know, I end up going with the three wood because it's like you know it's like 269 or something like that up to you know where the crap is going up the hill yeah it's downwind but you're going up the hill like it's not warm and i'm like i was like i hit that like 285 like i you know and then i i try to hit out of there over a wall to trundle it up on the green then it got stuck in a gorse bush and i was like all right well and then Todd was like we need to take an unplayable and i was like there was a time i'm like but i see so much of this fucking golf ball and then i was like wait todd's over at bandon he <laughs> understands how gorse operates this temptress is singing her siren song i was like i'm taking it unplayable you know and and then you know almost got it up and down for for a bogey um and then you know made a you know 
couple of unforced errors on 18. And, you know, it's just just one of those things where it's like, you know, you're doing a lot of things really, really well. And, you know, you got to keep trusting the process and not get discouraged. You know, you got to focus on the positives. And, and a couple couple weeks ago, Todd had show he had sent me like a, a YouTube video about Tiger when he was in his butch days and talking about, you know, how the number, you know, the best arguably one of the the best ball striker in in the history of the game like was struggling through you know for him struggling through hitting shots and everything but you know it's just again like it takes months so you know i know everybody especially in this amazon prime impulse buy kind of world that we live in you know everyone's like we want results now and i'm like they come when they come like you can't press anything um, but I'm just having such an amazing time and, you know, we've got three weeks off coming up. So who's to say that my Lynx trip is going to end? You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's interesting. Would, would you think you might st stick around and just do a little more soul surfing and, and see some more uh, great courses? I have no answer because like I said, I didn't know I was in this tournament until fucking Friday morning. So I honestly haven't booked my, my plane ticket home yet. So we shall see is the best way to put it. And, and, you know, I mean, I'd love to go and visit air and, and, um, you know, also, you know, East Lothian's not far from here, obviously Fife with St. Andrews and Kings Barnes and, you know, all the courses over there and kill Spindy is one of my favorite little tiny gems. I love playing last week. We were a couple miles from, is it the golf, the golf house club, which, you know, formerly Ely and Earl's Ferry yeah. and couldn't mm -hmm. go couldn't go we were where, so where my airbnb was last week we were down the road from london uh golf club which is home of the original leaving hole like I, i'm just like oh my god this goddamn bubble you know like i understand it of course you know because it's all about maintaining um you know the safety of everyone as well alongside the community that we're coming into but i'm just like well i play golf <laughs> and thankfully, I was in a place where you know I was able to to play golf the uh, the final two rounds and and uh, makes a little money's. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a funny story, real quick, from last week when when we went to go get our COVID test to enter the bubble to ensure that we were negative prior to playing. We show up to you know one of the two host hotels, and um, it's it's a it's a beautiful building. And there's like all this like there's these like weird wooden things and like you know like wooden bits with like little metal bobs. This that we're in Dundee and and you know Todd's looking at this stuff while we're you know uh, waiting on a you know Deliveroo, which is like Uber Eats kind of a thing in the UK. <laughs> and yeah. and you know he's kind of staring at some stuff. And I like walk up and I'm like, man, are those like legit like pagan like musical instruments basically because there's just like these wooden dowels and one of them had like a metal sort of a, a thing and i was just like wait like because you could sit there and be like boing 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 and and he's like that's actually an interesting concept like maybe and then there was like over off to the side there were like these two clear plastic um containers that looked like they had like blonde doll hair and then you know, there's just freaky. all this stuff. Like it's, it, I'm just like sitting here and I'm like, what is all this? And so Todd like walks up to the front desk, you know, we're masked up and everything. Cause we're like, you know, unless we're actively eating, we're not going to, um, you know, unmask ourselves. And he's like, can you tell me what, like, what's up? You know, basically, and she, this lady went on this long, you know, talking about the history of Dundee and, you know, how, um, you know, it was a huge industrial city and there was so much that, you know, comes from Dundee, this, that, you know, basically textiles and the building that the the um, test we were taking in was was held is like this old, old uh 
uh, building that was owned by the Baxter family when it comes to, you know, textiles. And this and she kept talking about jute. And I'm like, jute? And I'm like, what in the fuck is she? I'm like, okay. I'm like, maybe that means doll hair. I don't know. Like, whatever, whatever. And, you know, she's like talking about this, rug, that, whatever, yes. whatever. Yeah. And, and, and she was, and, you know, and then she starts talking about, you know, like post whaling and how they would take the whale blubber and, you know, mix that with the jute to make it really fine and silky and this and that, whatever, whatever. And I'm just like, uh huh. Like, it's very interesting stuff, you know. And, and so she like points over and she's like, over there behind you, you can see there's like a, you know, a, a traditional jute. Um, bag, you know, and like we turn around and like we kind of look at each other at the same time, and like I'm sure, you know, like in in both of our heads, I'm like, like my brain was like, I'm like, I only see burlap. Is there another bag that we're supposed to, you know? And I'm like looking around, and you know, and 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 Todd told me later he was like, you know, he's like saying like in a joking way, he was just like because we looked at each other, and he's kind of like, he was like, my first thought was like, bitch, that's burlap. Like, what do you like? What is this jute? And then so then like that night, I was like doing more research. It's like jute is like you know, say it's not the same as, but it's like if you were to take just regular wool, compare that to like say, um, you know, merino wool or whatever. You know, Casual, it's just a little yeah. bit different. T- yeah. yeah, you know, cashmere comes from goat so but like it's you know it's it's just like it's a finer way of doing it and i was like that is that is really really cool but we kind of use the whole idea of like you know bitch us burlap was kind of like one of our inside <laughs> jokes for the week it wait, was, it was wait, just I'm, great and he said it jokingly of course he didn't say it out loud i i am totally shook cashmere comes from goats yeah are you sure about this yeah google i'm doing that right near yeah. right now angora comes from bunnies and Oh, I think they do come from goats also. I never knew that. I thought it was just a, a, a better kind of wool. You've, you've rocked my world here, Christina. 90% sure, which means there's a 10% yeah. chance I'm very, no, very wrong. Right. I just Googled it. Mm-hmm. And then there's, oh, there's another one. So if you were to take merino wool, wool compared to merino wool, there's a similar thing if you were to compare cashmere versus another type of thing. But it's from this super, super rare... Um, goat that is found like near the Himalayas and around Tibet or something like that. And it's like, you'll basically be arrested for like, um, you know, the trophy animal yeah. hunting, poaching shit. If you were to obtain that kind of material. Um, See, this is, yeah, that's a routine, a fun fact. For the- <laughs> I was going to say the full send podcast. We're enriching our, our listeners in so many different ways. Um, <laughs> on that note, um, I think, uh, I think this has been a lively chat and I'm going to let you work on your putting stroke in your hotel room. It's getting late there. And I'm in an Airbnb. I've oh. got hardwood floors. Ooh. Well, those are going to run a little quicker than what you see at Carnisti, but quite uh, possibly. <laughs> I will say that there is a pregnant cat outside. So I probably am going to go and hang out with her for a little bit. Cause she'll be my, she'll be my additional friend <laughs> while we're in our bubble. The, um, the 2018 open was so memorable. You know, that was, that tiger, I really thought was going to do it. That was when he was still trying to come, you know, that was the beginning of his ascent. Right. And Mm -hmm. the way the course was playing and that leaderboard was stacked on Sunday. I went out and followed tiger and it was total bedlam. And it's just one of those, you know, I've been lucky to cover a lot of great tournaments, but that one is, is pretty indelible in my mind. And, um, you know, the shots that Frankie hit, I mean, that there was about a six month period where or actually more like eight or nine months where he was the best player in the world. It ended on the, the 12th tee of Sunday at 2019 masters. But, um, mm-hmm. anyway, that 
I just when I think about Carnoustie, I'm always going to think about that week um, for so many reasons. But it's awesome that you guys are getting to play it, and I always feel like it elevates any uh, you know big time event for the LPGA and women's golf when when you can play these these famous courses that that are stars in their own right and that golf fans are already invested in because they have these memories and they they know the lore of, of Ben Hogan and on down the on down the line. So. It's it's going to be a killer week. I can't wait to watch, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you hit some eight irons out of the bunker. Like that's that's uh, that's got to happen now. You've you've teased it enough. And that... five irons around the green. <laughs> I love it. All right, well, um, Christina, do your little thing here because I I know even from across the Atlantic, you feel compelled to say. I enjoy saying it and letting our listeners know that I would love it if they were to make sure that they're subscribed to this podcast, that they go onto the Apple iTunes podcast app thingy and rate it. You can give it as many as five stars because that apparently matters for metrics or something and tell all your friends about it. And and until next week, I, I, I guess that I'm going to have to say thank you for listening and... Tune in to the next episode of Full Send with Christina Kim and Alan Shipnut. Thanks, y'all. Bye.